Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm really pleased to say, is Giles Peterson, club DJ, music producer, radio presenter, record label boss and the man behind the worldwide brand. You're in for a real treat. Brought up amongst the South London suburban soul scene in the early 80s, Giles was inspired by pirate stations such as Radio Invicta to set up his own station, literally an aerial suspender between a tree and a phone box in Epsom Downs. He played an eclectic mix of jazz, funk, reggae, soul and early electro. I didn't know where it would lead me, he says, but I was definitely on a mission. Described as a relentless pioneer of contemporary underground music, Giles launched the Acid Jazz record label in the late 80s, Talking Loud in the 90s, and his current venture, Brownswood Recordings. And as a curator, he holds the record for compilation releases, having put together over a 100. We'll be talking to Giles about all this and his worldwide festival and worldwide awards in a few minutes. We've also got the rather wonderful sounds of, amongst others, Lonnie Liston-Smith, Donald Byrd, and this. It's Jill Scott with He Loves Me, Lizelle in E-flat. That was Jill Scott with He Loves Me. That was Lizette in E flat. As I said earlier here on Jazz Shapers, the one and only Giles Peterson is with me, or rather I'm with him, because for the first time ever, actually, Jazz Shapers is on the road. I'm here at the home of Giles Peterson's music. It's Brownswood Studio. Hello. Hello, how are you? All right, how are you? Well, it's good to see you standing up. I know, do you know what? This is the first time I've ever done this standing up, so uh, maybe different things will happen. We don't know what's going to pop out. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good for your, um, for your calorie count. Well, that's good, because I'm always looking after the calories. And I've got a really nice coffee, which Charles has made himself as well. It made me feel very welcome. Great. So thank you. Pleasure. Take me back to you as a kid. Where did this uh, obsession with music start? Because people get into, you know, I've got kids that got into cars and they got into collecting stones. You were alive to music from a very young age. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the thing is, I'm coming from a French family. Uh, my mum was French. I used to go to the French Lycée. My dad's Swiss. He used, used to travel a lot. A lot of chansons in the house. But apart from that, not that much music. For me, music became a major issue when I went to an English school. Mm. And when I suddenly realised that I had to belong to something or a gang or a crew or, uh, you know, I had to have my... You described it as a tribe, I think. A tribe, past, yeah. Yeah, I had to really... And so it was a boys' rugby playing school called mm. John Fisher in Purley. And uh, in that school, there were three soul boys. Most people were into, I remember being into Rainbow. They, that was a really big band at the time, but not within the people that I, I was um, eventually going to sort of be influenced by. But uh, there's a lot of sort of heavy metal mm. and a little bit of punk. Um, but mainly um, it was sort of these three guys who would introduce me to jazz funk music and 
pirate radio and suddenly I like the look, I like the wedge haircut, I like the clothes, I like the sort of leather peg trousers you'd have to go to Kings Road Jones and pick up and uh, my pods, my pod shoes, I don't know if you remember those, but um, so yeah, there was a, there was that uniform which I could relate to and mm. apart from that, there was also a, a movement and a scene of bands, there was a load of UK bands that were playing, groups like Level 42, mm. groups like Incognito and so I just got seduced by it. I'd listen to Radio and Victor on a Sunday, try and tune in, 92.4. It wasn't always on. I could pick it up from the bathroom. That was the best place in my house where I could get it. And I'd just sort of stay there for a few hours and just try and get it tuned to that station, hear jazz funk. You'd listen to Robbie Vincent on a Saturday. Yeah. He used to do a show. And then by the age of sort of 14, 15, I sort of wanted to get turntables. Sold a train set, apparently. Sold my train set um, when my parents went away for the weekend. Uh, it was in the garden shed. <laughs> it had and, gone. And it became a pirate radio station <laughs> overnight. I got a transmitter from a local guy that also built CB radios and uh, who I found in the back pages of something, local paper. And, and yeah, and I just sort of created these little radio shows in the back garden where I wanted to be Robbie Vincent. And yeah. uh, my next door neighbour at the time, who was also sort of into music, but different music, a guy called Ross, he wanted to be John Peel. So he kind of based his show on John Peel and called himself Ross Travone. His real name was Ross Tinsley. And uh, my name was uh, Gilles Merlet, but I had to change my name because, uh, of course, I was didn't want to get busted. So, um, and Merlet, there weren't many Merleys in the book with umlaut on the O. So, <laughs> so I was going out of a guy called Natalie Peterson. And I thought, and here we are. Peterson and we're going to we're going to pause it there. Mr. Giles Peterson's arrived on the scene. He's changed his name, yeah. no less. Um, we're going to pick up the story in a minute. But yeah. first, uh, and we tried to choose music that I mm. think is in keeping with your own predilections. This is Lonnie Liston Smith mm. with Mardi Gras. That was Lonnie Liston-Smith with Mardi Gras. And, uh, Giles, you obviously know Lonnie Liston. You worked, you've done a bit of work with him. You've worked with most of the, the greats. I mean, that must be the lovely thing. I think I've read somewhere you said the great thing about what you do is that you can be the super fan of all the people that you love to play. Yeah. T- tell me ab- about, you said there was passion and you wanted to be part of the tribe. Mm. Why did it start to funnel into the different areas of music that it did? Why those specifically? Why was it that acid jazz connected with you? Why was it that you can also move over to to hip hop or to Afrobeat? What's it about all those different things that for you connects? Well, I'm I'm fast forwarding a lot. Obviously, it's from sort of the early eighties, and we'll come back again there and and go into Case the Soul Weekender and hearing disco and jazz funk records in a big room and Chris Hill DJing and just getting 5,000 people to dance the same way. And, and it was an amazing experience just watching him playing this... Cr- I mean, I remember him playing Tanya Maria, Brazilian singer, to 5,000 people, eight, you know, in 1981. I mean, this guy was a genius, very inspired by that. But I remember going backstage or to the back room. There used to be a back room and they used to play jazz in the back room. And I remember Bob Jones was playing John Coltrane. There was like 20 people dancing. And it was really loud and it was an amazing energy in the room. And I was like, this is it. This is this is what it's about. I mean, I, I'd never heard jazz like that. And for me, that was very, very important, powerful moment, which kind of 
very much got inside me and in a way ever since then my whole sort of idea of what I do is to kind of give people that moment that I had back in those days and of course while I've been on that journey music and coming out of the UK and club culture in the UK has been so powerful and important and I think you know people say where would you where where else could you live? I said, I can't live anywhere apart from London because London has this kind of constant sort of re-mix and reimagination and and mm. and all this new stuff is all it's very heavily competitive and that's why we've had dubstep, that's why we've had drum and bass, that's why we've had acid jazz and acid house and football hooligans and and whatever it is, you know, this is the this keeps is, moving. It keeps moving. And, and and for you, when are you at your happiest? Is it when you're playing live in front of X hundred or X thousand people, or is it in here in your own studio quietly finding a new track and then going, hold on a minute, that might work with that, or is it when you're on the radio generally? Wh- which bit for you is the moment? This is well, the bit for me is all of it, and it's kind of interesting because I do sometimes think, well, should I just let one of them go should I just not do the traveling and the DJing but I do like there's nothing more amazing than being on at output in Brooklyn or at contact in Tokyo and you're on for eight hours and everyone's just with you on the journey and then you can play you can play an Elvin Jones track at the end and people are waltzing to it you know as the sun's coming up I mean there is no better feeling than that and I mean I was talking to Virgil Abloh and and some really successful people recently who are sort of you know DJs as well as doing other things and I feel that they're great you know you can have all the money in the world and you can have the the best you know the most famous people in the world but to have that feeling of being able to play music to people and to have that live reaction in the moment that happening is is remarkable and it's very addictive and mm-hmm. i think that it's something that i'd i'd find very difficult not to to have because it is just pure and beautiful so the djing thing because i remember thinking Francois K, I remember he did something with me and I was like, you know, I used to go and listen to him in New York at Body and Soul. And I think I used to, he had his little glasses on. He looked like a professor. And I was like, do I want to be a DJ when I'm sort of old? Because he looked old to me because he was like 10 years older than me. And I was like, you know, I'm going to have to give up when I'm 40. You know, it's just, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I, and I got to 40, I was like, actually, I'm, I'm actually better than I was. Yeah. I've got better because you get better at the craft as well. Mm. So for me, I need that. And I need the radio because the radio allows me to be able to have the connection with the audio and with the music and new and new people who then find you of course and that's another if you're on that that mission to Mm. spread the word as it were then you've got to have that stay with me for more Mm. from my guest Giles Peterson much more coming up from him but first we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some words of advice for your business Hi my name's Nadim Mir and I'm a partner at Mishkondorea in the private equity team A key thing to be thinking about if you are looking to raise funds is, given that it is maybe less difficult than it used to be to raise the money, if you do have a good growth story, then actually you are in a pretty good position to maybe be a bit more choosy as to who you partner with. Um, And I think a key thing to remember is that when you go into this relationship with an investor or group of investors, you do need to see it as very much like a relationship. It is effectively a marriage of sorts. And obviously we know the best sorts of marriages tend to be the ones where both sides uh, go in with their eyes open um, and they're both supportive parties to uh, to the marriage um, and where people think they can work well together. 
So it's not necessarily about the party that's going to leave you with the most equity or the one with the biggest checkbook. It's about the party who you are going to get on well with, work well with, and hopefully, and say, live happily ever after with. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Giles as well. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into your chosen podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive there. But back to today, right here, right now, I'm in North London. The amazing studio. It's quite warm in here, by the way. I don't know how you concentrate. It's like we're sweating. It's a little bit I feel like it's like an Ashtanga yoga uh, jazz shaper special. Um, Giles, we, we've talked a little bit about the music and that moment when, when you have the joy. The flip side of this is, that, of course, you have to be successful commercially. And what you've managed to do, unlike many DJs who go and do those sets, who carry on through their lives and then they have to stop a bit like a personal trainer, you've gone, hold on a minute. There's brands to explore here. There's businesses. You've set up awards. You've got a radio station. You've got your programmes as well. You've got this new festival. All sorts of things. Where does the business side of it come from? Where have you grown that acumen? Interesting. I don't know. I don't think that... I think there must be a businessman in me somewhere because I'm constantly looking at um, opportunities and, you know, I've sort of been in the business of music from a record label point of view for many years. But I think really... I don't really have that kind of overview in a way. I just sort of go with what is exciting me. I'm just going on my energy. And and in a way, I started off where I was playing music in the back room and we were the sort of underdogs. I was always the underdog guy, the underdog DJ, playing the underdog music. In what way? Well, just playing the sort of not the obvious. So we were the ones... I don't know some when because even when I started up until Acid House and Acid and Acid Jazz, there was no sort of career in being a DJ. It wasn't. It hadn't been sort of monetized. Almost, you were still the guy who came up and gave. You know, you got a couple of hundred quid to to work down you know, down the pub. I'd set up record labels, done compilations, done talking loud, but I'd still not really put my name on the front of a record to sell what I was about, what my brand was. I didn't realize that until. Journeys by DJ, which was an independent sort of mix company, they put out DJ mixes and they came to me and they said, uh, we really want to do a, a mix album with you. Even though I was running Talking Out, we were winning Mercury Prizes at the time with mm. Represent and stuff, but I had not in any way, I'd done loads of compilations for Blue Note and, and, and Prestige, all kinds of compilations, but these guys came up to me and they said, look, we want to put your name on there and sell it as Giles Peterson Mix. And that was when almost I realised that there was something in it. And uh, and then I did an album called Incredible Sound Of for, C- for Sony, which did really, really well. And in a way, it kind of sort of sold my musical DJ aesthetic to a growing club culture mm. and audience that had being introduced to the music through House and, and, and Acid House. So that was when I realised that there was sort of something in it for me as a, as a DJ beyond just having five residencies in... In, in, in the electric and wherever yeah, else it might have been. Yeah. But you following your nose, your instinct, you must have got a sense of what would be big enough to then make money or was it more about, do you know what, Acid Jazz is where it's going now. I'm going to put my money over, I'm going to put my time there. Yeah. Brazilian, there's a bit of a vibe over yeah. there. Yeah. Was it, how much of it was... I mean, to be honest with you, yeah, I, I made so many. I mean, I don't. Even, I don't, there was not. I mean, really, acid jazz. Even acid, acid jazz. If you go there, I set that record label up with my DJ money. 
and you know I was living in a flat in Rotherhive and every penny I was getting was either going on records or was going in recording artists in the studio it was all my money going in and there was no one else doing this there was no one else signing the brand new heavies signing Galliano signing these groups because they didn't think there was a scene or a market for that kind of thing and then I suddenly got a call from Mercury Records, Phonogram Records, and they they said, look, you know, we like what you're doing. We want to give you a job um, to be an A and R guy at Phonogram, and and at the time I jumped at it because they were giving me twenty five grand in a car. And for me, you know, when you I was twenty, <laughs> sounds like the car was more exciting than well, the money. Well, it was, it yeah. was, you know, because you got to remember that was it. But if I'd have really thought about it and realised, if someone had said, actually, Giles, you know, this is as big as stiff, yeah. or this is as big as two tone, you're mad. Just kind of will invest in what you have because you can sign all of these groups and we can let them grow independently. And that would definitely have been jackpot for me back then. But at the time, I needed to go to a major record label to almost, for me, I saw it as it was the catalyst to take this scene internationally. And it was the catalyst to put these groups and give them bigger budgets than what I could afford to go into the studio hence why we could make records like the Young Disciples album which was a proper record I could never have made that at Acid Jazz at the time so Mm. it was kind of like I was throwing myself into a situation which I knew I had to even though so you saw that no one was advising you you saw that yourself or did you have you over the years now been able to surround yourself with people saying hold on a minute this is start up that scale up as people would now call that because what you've just described is the journey of a lot of entrepreneurs it's like I need investment to grow Mm. you kind of said it without saying it was that just an internal voice yes it was an internal voice but I I was on such a mission with the music and the scene that I was representing that I was going to do anything to make that grow That meant me having residencies in Vienna, in Paris, in Cologne, travelling, you know, I mean, every week I was at Heathrow Airport, every day I was at Phonogram Records, I was in A&R meetings talking about Wet, Wet, Wet and Elton John, and I was going, no, no, hang on a minute, I've got this really good record by a group called The K Creative, and they were like, forget it, just go back to your room, you know, it was, within Phonogram there was no appreciation or understanding of what I was doing. Right. But actually, that was really good for me because it actually allowed me those years, those 10 years to really understand how that side of the music industry worked. worked. Yeah. You know, I went to America with these records under my arm in the 25th floor of the 8th Avenue Universal building and go up there, speak to Ed Eckstein and go, can you release my Young Disciples record? And, you know, they just look at me and go, who are you? You know, this is the urban department. Go back to the rock department. It was that kind of thing. So you have to learn those things, and I really appreciate it. And then, you know, after 13 years working there and the fact that my DJ career was beginning to take on some new sort of life and the fact that I was now getting towards being on Radio 1, and that was I put a lot of energy into that because I felt that was really important back then, particularly that platform, that Radio 1 platform, allowed me to be able to sort of champion records like the Cinematic Orchestra or Zero Seven or the Gotan Project, all that kind of music. That's when I sort of took time off working at Talking Loud and for a few years I didn't do any record label until I got a demo given to me in Cargo and it was a Jose James demo and I thought, oh, you know what, this is too good. I need to create a record label to release this and that's how I set up Brownswood Records many years later. Hold that thought. Um, lots more coming up from my uh, ebullient uh, jazz shaper here, Giles Peterson. He's quite excited about music, you may have noticed. Mm-hmm. Time for some more of that, and it's another one I hope that you'll like, Giles. It's Stolen Moments by Mark Murphy.
That was Stolen Moments by Mark Murphy. And Giles, that's one of your own choices for today. Normally we have one, but we can't have Giles Peterson and making only one decision about the music on a programme. That would seem inappropriate well, and, if not, rude. Tell me <laughs> tell me why you well, chose any, that one. Anytime I can play Mark Murphy, I always sort of take advantage of it. Stolen Moments, I remember listening to that again and again and again. Beautiful arrangement of the Oliver Nelson song. And an artist who I had a great relationship with for many years because he used to spend a lot of time in the UK. He very sadly passed away recently. And uh, one of the real greats. And I feel very privileged to have been able to work with these people, talk to them, be interviewed, you know, interview them. I remember there was a period when I started on Radio London and I was like 20 years old and I didn't really know much about jazz, really. I was just coming from a collector. I was, you know, I was a jazz funk boy and suddenly I had a jazz show because I was young and it looked good for the station. I took advantage of it. But I remember within a few weeks of being at Radio London, I, I, I had the opportunity to, be interview, to interview Wayne Shorter, Mark Murphy and Jalal from The Last Poets. These three people for me were really important because they kind of were uh, serious artists with uh, a lifetime of of, of music and um, thinking and I hadn't had those people around me to really give me that advice and that's really really important I think. And it sounds like um, you know because you're inside of music culture you define music culture it takes a long time to do that where does your brain start I mean go back to the time when you knew 10 records how did you start to build and create this world because i see when you're talking you're literally your brain is darting around you go oh, it's that track and that one over there and that person over there it's literally like a huge library of your own when it was little how did you know which way to go to find the next track or is it just trial and error is it just i'll have a listen to this one see what happens yeah i think so i think that one of the big differences between today listening habits and back then is that it probably took me 10 years to understand John Coltrane, Giant Steps or Impressions. I didn't just put that on and go, this is amazing. I mean, I got, I, I heard Bob Jones playing it at a weekender and it was at, in a different context to what it, what, what I would have heard it in. And, and so I kind of understood it to a degree. But these days, of course, you can get from Stanley Tarantine to Roland Kirk in three hours if you go through your iTunes and you can literally understand the, the journey. But back then, you literally had to buy the records or listen to them or borrow them and then you just sort of built that journey so for me I didn't just arrive at Sun Ra that took 15 years to kind of finally get it you know and and that's the satisfaction of it so for me I think that's why I'm very thankful to people like Bluey and the groups like Incognito and Light of the World, that movement of British bands that were at the time because it was jazz funk Mm. a bit like today a group that I release on Brownswood called Yusef Kamal, there is kind of entry point music. Uh, I really think that's a very important part of everybody's journey, you know. And again, as somebody who is on the radio, who does play out, I'm always aware that there is there needs to be a way in for people who aren't as tuned into. The, you know the the really extreme sort of elitist sort of scene i mean i like playing to people who are going to get it but i think there's a real satisfaction in going to ibiza and being on after carl cox and going okay there's two thousand people here how am i going to get them into you know brother john by yourself latif i probably won't get there but but i'll find a way and that that to yeah. me is the game really Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today, Giles Peterson, here in the bosom of Brownswood Studios. Um, plus, we'll be playing a track from another one, I think, of Giles' choices. It's Donald Bird. That's all coming up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Rea. 
It's business, but it's personal. was Donald Byrd with Wind Parade. Wow. Love that. That's another one of your choices. What is it you love about that? I mean, I like I love Donald Byrd. I don't... I mean, Wind Parade is yeah. another brilliant well, number. Entry point music, again. Yeah, that's I probably think, why I know it. Maybe. I mean, I'm an entry point kind of guy. Yeah, well, we all are. I think we all are. And and, and, and we have to find... I mean, it's interesting because that record, um, Places and Spaces, was uh, completely dissed by the critics at the time. It got really badly panned, apparently. And so with time, the understanding of... The producers on that record, the Mizell brothers, and the way they were approaching the jazz and the funk and the textures they were creating was incredible. And I think that a lot of modern day music today, from the sort of the likes of the internet or Pharrell Williams or Jamiroquai or whoever, this is like as important to them as Naima by John Coltrane might be to somebody else. So that's why it's important and that was a record that I would grow up on and that's the record they were playing on the pirate stations and specific radio shows and at the at the all dayers that you'd go mm. to in Manchester or Nottingham and you'd sort of that was our music which differentiated us to the other tribes and mm. so you'd play that in the car or somewhere and they wouldn't know the song and it was brilliant that's what it was you felt you had this secret code and secret music so you know from a nostalgia point of view it always shines for me that one the artistry with which you approach what you do and i'm calling that intentionally because you know djs there are many that just put it on talk and thing and that's the worst end you've made a life of weaving and not just weaving but i think also proselytizing and wanting people to kind of buy into it it's almost like it's a religion I mean, not that you've ever used those words. I've, I'm not a religious person. I have no idea if you are still going, you know, attending Catholic Mass and things where it doesn't really matter. But why it seems so part of your being. There's no separation to me as, as I look at you between the person that works and the person that's just you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I am the ultimate sort of example of someone who loves their job. And, and I'm constantly and still absolutely passionate about it. And there's always new music to inspire me. I think there's nothing better than music to heal. And so for me, I've been fortunate enough to be around what I love which has come along and saved me on many many occasions, whether I'm up or whether I'm down. So music's a beautiful thing to have as, as, as something to work around. I'm also involved in music in many different ways, and I think that's quite an important part. So on one hand, I'll be a mentor, I'll be working in the back room, sort of working with artists as an A&R man or as a producer. On the other hand, I'll be sort of working with the record label and just sort of in marketing meetings. And, mm. and, and I think... All all of that is is allows me to be able to enjoy those little moments when I'm being a DJ. I find sometimes if people are just doing one thing, they might actually get tired by it. So for me, I'm involved in the full spectrum. I'm running a, rec a radio station as well, so I'm listening. It's funny because when I started running Worldwide FM, 
it was like a, a, a fun thing to do. And then suddenly I realised that every DJ on there was expecting me to listen to their show to give them sort of feedback. So I was like, oh my God, I've got to do... So the only thing that can be a little bit intense sometimes, which isn't, you know, hey, it's no bad thing really, is I have to listen to a lot. And mm. and so I have to make sure that I'm sort of in a in the right space to listen to music objectively and to be able to you know give people good mm. advice and 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 and, and response you're here whatever 30 40 years later from when the first time you you know you sold your your train set and then you do this do you ever stop and i know you run a lot and i think that's the time you said you don't listen to mm. music do you ever stop and go this is all right well done charles i mean you know you're surrounded by your vinyl here in this room alone there must be <laughs> i don't know a thousand a couple of thousand there's yeah. a few more upstairs i mean they're everywhere are you like that? Do you ever look at your own life and go, that's all right? Or do you just go, no, mate, it's about the next bit of music? I think all of us who are busy and active, it's, it's like catching the moment, isn't it? It's, life does go extremely fast because there's, there's just something going on every day. And so I have got a lovely family and, uh, and so I spend as much time with them as possible. I go and see my mum as much as I can. So I, I try and have that balance. Running's been massive for me over the last 15 years. You know, I, I was raving for until I was 40 hard. And then I looked at myself when I was in my mid-30s, I thought, actually, you know, this is, go this is only going one way. So luckily the music was there to help me, therapy-wise. And, um, and, of course, running really saved my life. Listen, just before I let you go, and thanks, it's been a real treat um, for me, a music lover and someone who's followed you over the years. Um, what's your song choice, your final song choice, and why have you chosen it? Yeah, I wanted to play uh, a track by Gary Bartz, who is a 78-year-old alto saxophonist who I met for the first time after many, many years of playing his records at the Winter Jazz Festival, which is a one-week thing that happens in New York in January. And I met him, interviewed him, and I was blown away by him. And I, you know, he played with Miles Davis. He played with Max Roach and has continuously been making incredible music and was very much one of the sort of champions of fusing poetry, jazz, free jazz and kind of spiritual jazz. And so he was doing all that and he's going strong. So I'm going to try and bring him over for this festival I'm doing in, Jan in August called We Out Here. And uh, I wanted to play this song, which, uh, which is just one of my favourite all-time tunes by Gary Bartz with Andy Bay on the vocals he was the first person to use Andy Bay in this kind of context and this is a song called Celestial Blues was Gary Bartz with Celestial Blues, as chosen by my fantastic guest, Giles Peterson. He talked about the importance to him of listening objectively and of creating entry points, giving his audience a way in to new artists and sounds as we each build our own journey. He spoke about getting energy from variety and, of course, as he put it, the beautiful, addictive power of connecting with people live through music. And underpinning all of that was his fundamental desire to work with people and give time to people and frankly, his compulsion to create. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a fantastic weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>